0: Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And we've got interdependent and interdependence is the extent to which our outcomes are mutually constrained, mutually influenced. So whether I like it or not, what you do is impacting me.
1: Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is another beautiful day here in North Carolina, and this episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Jeremy Clevenger Fitness and the Sasquatch Flag Company. Both of these sponsors help me bring these shows to you each and every week, so I encourage you to click on their links below and check them out. I have another great show lined up for you today, but before we get started, I just want to remind you to check out the leadership books I've written on either Amazon or my website, JohnSrenny.com. This year, I'm offering a new way to purchase all of my books for a discount. I have bundled the books into what I call the Qualified Watchstander series, and you get all three books for 15% off the individual prices. This offer is only available on my website, so check it out if you're looking to step up your leadership game this year. Also, I wanted to remind you that Deep Leadership is ranked as a top 100 management podcast in the U.S., and I wanted to thank each and every one of you for listening in each week and sharing these episodes with your friends. You have helped this podcast grow into a top-performing show, so thank you very much. Well, that is it. Today, we're going to be talking about building collaborative relationships, and my guest is Dr. Deb Maschick. She is the author of Collaborate, How to Build Incredible Collaborative Relationships at Work, Even if You'd Rather Work Alone. Deb helps us understand the best ways to build and foster relationships and get things done. Now, this is a critical skill for leaders in 2023, and this discussion will help you become a more effective collaborator. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Deb Mashick. Deb is a social psychologist who helps business leaders navigate the relationship headwinds that tank timelines, bottom lines, and well-being. She is an experienced business advisor, best-selling author, professor, and nonprofit executive. She is the author of Collaborate, how to Build Incredible Collaborative Relationships at Work, Even if You'd Rather Work Alone. This book reveals everything leaders need to know to make workplace collaborations less painful and more productive. And I'm excited to have her on the show to talk about more effective collaboration. So, Dev, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Ah, it's nice to meet you. And this is an interesting topic that we haven't covered in 200 episodes, so I'm excited to have you on the show to talk about collaboration. Uh, and it's something like for what, for whatever reason, we just haven't talked about it. And so you're the expert, so I'm I'm honored to have you here to talk about it.
0: Oh, let's dig in. Yeah, I bet you. You know, I know having listened to a couple of episodes that you are talking about teamwork and all of these adjacent topics and whatnot. So I look forward to seeing if we can't weave some of that fabric.
1: Absolutely. Well, uh, tell us about your background and why you decided to focus your efforts on relationship research and collaboration facilitation. Where, How did that come about? Was this something as as a young child you dreamed of doing one day or did it evolve? I was kind of curious how you got to where you're at.
0: Oh, there, so there's the deep story. So I'll try to give you a thumbnail version of the deep story, which is that I say the trailer park, my parents' alcoholism, and my PhD. These were my three great teachers of collaboration. So I grew up in western Nebraska in a double-wide trailer on a trailer park where you know the rules were basically you know don't or go outside, they don't the other kids, and don't go get an adult unless somebody's actually hurt. Um, which meant that I had lots of opportunity to be free range, which, you know, in terms of figuring out what to play and how to make rules with other kids and how not to be, you know, the, the jerk kid that nobody wants to play with, but also how to have your own boundaries and establish, you know, establish your interest and whatnot. And so the trailer park was this fabulous space where, you know, we weren't allowed to leave the chain link fence that surrounded the trailer park. But other than that, it was a pretty open playmat for figuring out social dynamics, which is incredibly useful. And then on the side of the next step up is my, both of my parents struggled with alcoholism um, their entire lives. They both died when I was 24. But what that means, you know, for a lot of kids who grow up amid addiction is that the parents aren't necessarily able to do as much adulting as perhaps you would would be ideal. So you know, being able to be responsive to the kids' needs and whatnot, and it's a little bit convoluted, perhaps perverse. That what that means is that I needed to look outside the family um, yeah. to to develop those those relationships uh, and whatnot for some of my basic needs to be met. And so figuring, out, you know, reading the social situation, figuring out you know who, who's likely to to get you know, knocked off the rails tonight if I do the wrong thing or whatnot. But to be able to to go out to those relationships out there in the the community, whether it's my teachers or the, the parents of my friends, then form connection in order to be self-sufficient. So there's kind
1: of an interesting thing there. Interesting. Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense, actually.
0: Yeah. And so all of this, I am convinced, led me to this point where And I miraculously made it to college. That was never an expectation in my family, but there was an amazing high school counselor who made that possible. And then amazing teachers in undergrad. And somehow I wind up in graduate school. And my first semester, I'm taking this class called the Psychology of Close Relationships. And I was entirely smitten. So yeah, I I know you mentioned like you're, you're in grad school right now, but feeling of wanting to read every single article and showing up and like raising my hand. I wanted to ask questions and have comments on every single thing. And that is when I realized, well, first of all, that there's this entire field on the psychology of close relationships. And second of all, that I absolutely loved it and decided I wanted to commit my whole career us. So then I, you know, was was teaching and researching on the psychology of close relationships and ended up uh through. So, so grateful for this opportunity, ended up as a professor out at Harvey Mudd College, which is in Claremont, California, one of the Claremont colleges, and spent a lot of years there teaching, researching, engaging with students around this topic. And then the opportunity came up to, um, I don't know if you know about the Claremonts, but it's really cool. There are five totally independent colleges co-located on a single square mile of property. Hmm. And, and this opportunity came up to direct a grant focused on figuring out how to help the institutions build better academic collaborations. Uh I super, I was like, well, this sounds like a challenge slash I have no idea how to do this. And then I realized like, actually I do the exact same theories and models and strategies for developing interpersonal connection and relationship. I thought, you know, I'm I'm gonna use these. I've got this toolbox. Let's see what we can do with it. And it was it was at that point that I fell in love with collaboration as a form of relationship. So probably way more details than you wanted to know there, but that's the story.
1: But I think it's interesting for listeners to hear that because it's always you know because we talk a lot about finding your purpose in a lot of podcast episodes of different authors and 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 a lot of times it's that spark that 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 you you're you expose yourself to a lot of different things and then suddenly there's one thing one course one article you read that just sparks something sparks your imagination to where you're all I want to do is dig into this subject and and it sounds like for you that that's what happened
0: yeah and it's you know one of my favorite words is serendipity so mm. it's not I don't personally believe that there's one right path for any of us or one right Right. relationship or one right thing we can do. But if we expose ourselves to enough of the variety that's out there in the world, something will catch fire. And so this idea of pursuing whether it's our education or our communities as this candy store to be experienced. Sure, some people don't like the black licorice. You might love the black licorice, but you've got to try it to find out.
1: Right. You got to get those experiences and you've got to try different things until you find the one thing that is like, this is why I've been placed on earth. This is what I want to do.
0: And to be open to the possibility that something will surprise you and when that happens, to give yourself permission to go
1: after it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, we weren't going to talk about that today, but that was a really good, uh, segue into, uh, into, or do, not a segue, but like a, a departure from, from the subject. But it is a really important point about finding your purpose in your dreams. But, uh, that's, that's a great, great story. Great, uh, a great example of how you expose yourself to a bunch of different things and suddenly now you're the expert in the, in collaboration. So it's wonderful. But I'm <laughs> sure
0: I've exposed myself to other things. Or like, never again will I do that. That's <laughs> a good idea.
1: Yes, exactly. That's that's been more of my story through my career. <laughs> so I when I
0: was a, a professor, I used to tell this my advising students of, you know, take whatever classes you want and if you find something that you hate, that's just as valuable. That information is yeah. just as valuable as finding the class that you loved. Because now you can there's a whole bunch of stuff you can rule out
1: once you find yeah. the things that you hate. I I, I totally agree with that. Absolutely. So, like, tell us about your book. It's called Collaborate, and uh, we'll make sure we pronounce that. It's collaborate with H in the middle of it. So we'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, what was the reason um, that you wanted a focus of this book on collaboration? And who is the book for? Is it for the business, for uh, for leaders, for the business world? Who's the customer? Who's the who's the reader for this book?
0: Yeah. So the ideal reader that I had in mind as I was writing it was this is what you're not supposed to do. Anybody who, re, you know, anybody who needs to work with other people to, whether it's to bring their dreams together or to just as a function of their jobs, um, which is pretty much everybody. But yeah, I was hoping to speak to the the managers, the leaders, the people who have the agency actually bring in some of these interventions into their workplace. That said, uh, you know, there's an entire chapter. You, I mean, you've read the thing. So everything builds up to this workshop that's a DIY that any of us could do as individuals too. So ideally, business leaders are looking at it saying, hey, yeah, we, we've got some challenges here. Here's a tool that we can use. But any individual can also can also parlay those into useful, useful knowledge uh, to improve their collaboration their okay. relationships with their clients.
1: Yeah, that's the way I saw it as well, too. It's it's definitely for the business environment, but it can be used in a lot of different environments, uh, you know, nonprofits, uh, you know, churches, uh, anything where you're working with other people to get things done, essentially. Oh my gosh,
0: yeah, yeah. And honestly, like, these same strategies work really well in our families. And like you said, in our churches and in our civic organizations and in Neighborhood Watch and in all the places where there are different people with different interests, different motivations coming together Trying to figure out what could we do together, and actually getting off the dime to do it, and then doing it in a way that's sustainable and healthy—it's it, this this idea of playing well together permeates our lives.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does hurt in us <laughs> for sure. Um, so, the significance of the silent H—we it's collaborate, and so uh, so talk about the H. Why is it hate? <laughs>
0: Yeah. So I got to say, some people love this title. Some people hate it, but I figure, you know, people are talking about it. So I'll take it. So I wanted to put the H in there because I have a bit of a soapbox, which is culturally, there's a lot of rah-rah celebration. You know, teamwork is great. All things togetherness is great. We love collaboration. Let's collaborate on everything from our, our day's lunch order to some huge deliverable for the company. And it And I I think we need to pause on that a little bit because it's actually really difficult to work Mm -hmm. well together. It's difficult to do it in a sustained way. And unless we give voice to that, sometimes I say it's a silent age. If we give voice to that silent age that's in there, we're going to learn what the struggles are. And once we know what the struggles are, we can start thinking about how to do it better. And once we know how to do it better, we can make this whole collaboration thing way more productive more healthy for way more people so we wanted to put the clever heat wanted to give voice to the eight calling it heat so that's the that's the backstory
1: there <laughs> you know I was thinking about it because like the subtitle is um the subtitle is uh, how to build incredible collaborative relationships at work even if you'd rather work alone and I was thinking about that and and I talk a lot about um, because one of my experiences with is is with introverts. And so I always found that there was tremendous power in listening to my introverts on my team. And I wonder if some of the people that want to work alone, I wonder if there's personality types that are like, I love collaboration, you know, your marketing and your sales types. And, you know, you maybe have your engineers and your accountants are like, I do not want to be doing this right now. So is, is there personality types that are more pro-collaborative and and anti-collaborative from your research?
0: So when I put that sub-subtitle in there, the like, even if you want to work alone, the people I had in mind were the people who had significant burn marks from Mm -hmm. collaborating with other people before. So they've tried it. Um, In fact, you know, to get ready for the book, to write the book, I I conducted some research. I ended up sampling 1,100 people all in the United States who were employed full-time. And I tried to come up with the most ridiculous question I could, which was this. Have you ever been in a collaboration that was absolutely horrendous? I thought, you know, that was the amplifier I came up with. Absolutely and horrendous. And it was like, I don't know know if anyone's actually going to do this. Freaking 70%. So seven out of every 10 participants said, yeah, I I have been. And I also asked, have you been in one that was absolutely incredible and something like, you know, 8.5 out of 10? said yes to that. So thankfully, more people are having good experiences than bad. This is a whopping percentage of us out there in the workplace who are saying, like, sometimes this stuff sucks. And we know from any relationship that our learning histories and those relationships inform our current dispositions, our current willingness. And so that's, that's who I intended in the parenthetical, even if you want to work alone. That said, on the, to your question about what about personality types, And it's, you know, different people have different reasons for wanting to have different working rhythms and figuring out a way to honor that. And certainly people self-select into careers, jobs, roles, responsibilities, where they either have to collaborate more or less. The vast majority of people do have to collaborate in some way within organizations. Yeah, for sure.
1: For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that and, and but it's interesting to see how people collaborate, at least just out of thinking back on my past experiences, you know, in 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 collaborative exercises, and there's, and I think as a leader, sometimes we have to make sure that the that the quiet person doesn't get stepped all over because sometimes there's people who are very vocal. And they dominate conversations. They dominate the decisions. And so, I'm always careful to make sure that the quiet person. I'm always like, "All right, Susan, you haven't said anything. <laughs> so, what are you thinking?" Right um, now?
0: <laughs> and this is one of the beauties of uh, one of the beautiful lessons learned from COVID is the role um, of asynchronous engagement mm. to to make sure people have thinking time, but also different modalities of chiming in and sharing their their input and whatnot. Uh, so. I can open the document. I can think about it. I can share my thoughts as opposed to the person who just is comfortable saying whatever comes to mind, you know, in the middle of it, no matter who's in the room, which is also a strength in some situations. So creating the, the spaces so different people with different comfort levels can contribute because then you get, you know, even more of the cool ideas bubbling up and more opportunity to really to leverage that that shared intelligence.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I think there was some advantages uh, with some of the things we did during covid to allow uh, introverts to have a voice. So I actually thought that was very positive, even just like the chat function in Zoom where they don't wanna speak up, but they could put something in the chat function. And it's like, oh, there's some valuable information right there. And so I just thought there was some, which, which they may not have spoke up in a physical meeting, but they might put something in a chat function, which is kind of neat. So yeah, I, or I thought that was uh, actually beneficial in a, in a way.
0: One of my favorite tools are the the digital whiteboards. Um, yes breakout rooms and having everybody do their their brainstorming and moving the sticky notes and the dot voting and sharing critiques in this you know digital whiteboard space that's really an incredible an incredible tool.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. So for those that 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 had these bad experiences, what what do they hate about collaboration? What were the what were the themes in terms of the why we, we don't like it?
0: Oh my gosh. So for fun one day I sat down as a like a list of all the ways that collaboration sucks and in no time at all I came up with about 20 and there are 20 in the book and since then I've heard others from other people so it includes things like dropped balls where people say they're going to do something and then they don't do it or they come up with some bizarre interpretation of what they thought they were supposed to do that doesn't align with anybody else's interpretation or you know hey we have a timeline and we're all going to meet it, right? And everyone nods, nods and agrees. And then p- the person, somebody shows up to the meeting, they haven't done what they said they were going to do. They totally forgot that they were supposed to do it. And, and things like people strong arming their opinion into the group to yes. convert the group into taking action in their direction. Or the person who it, leans back and crosses their arm and says, well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to get involved. I don't understand why I'm supposed to be here. So there is just... Such an incredible array um, of ways that collaboration goes off the rails, mm-hmm.
1: unfortunately. Yeah. But so, so why collaborate anyways? I mean, uh, should we just work alone? I mean, you know, I think today we we we've got a work environment that is rapidly changing. And in, in my opinion, I think we need the collective wisdom of a team to be able to withstand all the changes and be able to make the right decisions. But uh, why why collaborate in the first place? Why not just have everybody uh, work alone?
0: Right. And certainly there are some people who would really much prefer that. And this is why I think we need more good collaborators because everything from so imagine you as a person as a one individual on the collaborative team, when your collaboration, collaborative relationships are strong. You're happier, you're more satisfied at work, you're less depressed, less anxious. In other words, our individual well-being matters and depends in some part on the quality of our workplace relationships. Great. That's one reason to do it. The reason is thinking at the team level. When our collaborations are sizzling versus fizzling, we're able to go further, faster. So when the, you know, you think of the gears and the clock when they're actually articulating well together and they're moving right. And, you know, there's no grit in there, like bumming up the works. And um, we're we're able to better meet timelines. We're better able to surface the innovative ideas, come up with the the cool solutions, whether it's to solve uh, a social issue in a nonprofit setting or trying to create a new product and getting it to market quickly. Um, so that matters for the teams, and then thinking about the organizational level, both of those things, whether it's, you know, I have happy employees who are not looking for another job, or I have teams who are getting their stuff done really quickly, and my goodness, we're able to get to market quickly. Both of those are influencing the bottom line, uh, which, you know, like, I don't have to pay for turnover cost or rehiring cost or things like that. So everything from timelines, bottom lines, well-being, innovation matters when collaboration is going well. And then there's this, you know, kind of the bigger picture question of like, so why do we, yeah, you know, like you said, why do we need collaboration in the first place? of the humble opinion that, you know, the, the really challenging problems we face as a society, whether we're talking poverty, climate change, education, um, none of those are going to be solved by any one person. Yeah. They're unlikely to be solved by any one team any one company any one organization any one sector so it's through that that integrative synthetic knowledge that crosses boundaries whether it's crossing disciplines or you know within a company the departments so you know like we all need to be organs in the organization that sounds kind of gross and biological but also that metaphor of either you know, there's value in being able to work together to address these big needs that are out there in a, in a pretty times desperate world
1: We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger Fitness. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area that they're lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. But how do you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best person for the job. Don't struggle on your own. Put Jeremy Clevenger on your team. Jeremy will work with you to take your physique, mindset, Nutritional habits and more to the next level with his step-by-step, all-inclusive coaching program. Now I've worked with Jeremy for the past year, and I'm in the best shape of my life. If you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at ApexPerformanceSystems.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. This episode is brought to you by the Sasquatch Flag Company. The Sasquatch Flag Company is a family-owned business in New England that builds hand-carved American flags from seasoned white pine. Each flag is is hand-built, and each star on the flag is hand-hammered and chiseled. No two flags are alike. They offer a variety of flag designs to honor the police, military, firefighters, dispatchers, and search and rescue personnel, to name a few. These stunning handmade flags look great in an office, a studio, the back porch, or above the fireplace mantle. They make the perfect gift for the veteran, first responder, or patriot in your life. Now, I love these flags, and I've been giving them as gifts for years, and I was a customer long before they became a sponsor. Sponsor the show. I can't recommend them enough. So if you're looking for that perfect, uniquely American-made gift to give away, or if you want to treat yourself, go to sasquatchflags.com and get your order in today. At least in my experience in the business world, is that the the problems are more complex and one person's knowledge is not sufficient to be able to answer it. So you need to have many people thinking about a problem and working together to solve it uh, to the, in today's environment. so. It's moving too quick.
0: <laughs> yeah. Even, even your, you just use the word information. And even that, it's like we're flooded. There's, you know, we have access, obviously, to so much information and more, you know, more is being created every second than any one person can possibly know. So that kind of distributed knowing and pulling things together in a way that makes sense, it's hard. It's so hard. And we're not trained how to do it, which is interesting, too.
1: That uh, is true. It's <laughs> Right, it's essential, yeah. So what are some, like, just, you know, uh, how, so how do we get better at collaboration? What are some some just simple things that we need to think about w- that that are sort of best practices in collaboration and things that we need to be aware of as we're entering in a collaborative type of exercise or a project or what have you?
0: So my advice to business leaders is to think broadly about your collaboration ecosystem. So, yeah, I know that's kind of buzzy. So what do I mean by that? And do you have collaborative people? Mm. So have you hired and brought into your space people who have positive mindsets toward collaboration, who know how to collaborate, so they have the skill sets, but also they have the dispositions, like it's in their nature to mm. want to work well, to be a part of a team, that sort of thing. So you need collaborative people, but it's not enough just to hire these people in and expect them to like, oh, go do something amazing together. You have to create the the environment around those individuals for those collaborative behaviors to thrive. What does that mean? The most basic level, uh, it means we need to invest in our collaborative relationships. So that's what the the collaborate book is all about, is like how to build that collaborative relationship. Then even beyond that, there's this environmental piece of do you have the tools and processes in place that enable great collaboration? Um Here's one of my bugaboos, just a quick little another little side journey. <laughs> is I think, you know, over the past five to ten years, at least in a lot of corporate settings, the word collaboration has come to mean do we have the tech, um, tech oh, tools right. in place. Right. Um, so you know, is our data storage talking to that thing over there? Or do we have the right project management tool or something like that? That is super important. That's not if that's all you're doing, you're way under leveraging what's possible with collaboration. So, but it's important. So I I think of the tech tools, the tools, the processes Mm -hmm. as part of that that environment um, that supports collaborative people. Mm -hmm. Then this is a big leadership one, thinking about the collaborative culture of your organization. So, um, uh, you know, is collaboration actually possible (laughs) where you are? Because guess what? If it's not possible, you're not going to get it. And is it easy to do? Is it normative? Is it rewarding? Like, is this actually behavior you're incentivizing or do you only, do you say you want collaboration, but really all you do is reward individual, you know, the borrow man, cowboy sorts of behaviors, in which case right. that's what you're going to get. And, and then sometimes people actually require require collaborative work too. But there's, so there's this whole ecosystem of questions that you could, I think should, be asking as a leader if your goal is to actually get more of that collaborative behavior.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I you know, it's interesting. I when you said collaborative culture, that really triggered something in my mind because having worked for three global companies, I I went my last my last corporate job that I had was in a, a global company that had set up this matrix organization such that we were forced into collaboration on projects, and then everybody in the room had a different boss. So, and we had always different priorities and different, and to the point where, and, and different, um, agendas to the point where we, we, we couldn't collaborate. We, we, cause everybody had their own, uh, version of what they wanted to get done in these, in these, you know, projects. To the point where it was just argumentative, and 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 we we never moved the ball forward because it, they they created a situation where everyone was in conflict, and then we threw every all these people in conflict in a room and said you guys need to collaborate, and we all had separate bosses with separate agendas, and and it was the most frustrating experience of my life because we never got anything done. Mm-hmm. There was nobody in the room that we could resolve the issue either because we were all matrix, we all had matrix bosses, and so it was just a very frustrating experience. So. The idea of having a collaborative culture is is something I saw of uh, one with it, that wasn't there. And one of the reasons I well, never got things done.
0: And I got to say where my mind goes, and I'd be curious to hear your reflections on this, is right away I'm thinking, oh gosh, so there was this, an important step step missed of saying, what is the company's North Star? What are we actually trying yeah. to do? And thinking about how do all of our goals and objectives derived from that one. So the fact that there were uh, tensions and priority or priority tensions there, like, okay, so what what step was skipped in terms of yeah. what we're sort of supposed to be doing in the first place, because that whole metaphor, we should all be organs within the same organization or serving one goal. And um, kind of, I, I love baseball. And so kind of this idea of, there's a reason you want a pitcher a to catch her,
1: right, the team. right.
0: Like, and if you, or if the same person's trying to do both, you're out of luck. If one of those roles is not filled, you're out of luck. You like, you really, really have to have this. And so, I'd be curious. Was there a, a goal? I kind of hate the word alignment because it's no, vague.
1: no. no ask, was there? No, so no that was the hard, There was no north star either, and there was no one person in the room that was sort of had the authority to work out the differences between team members. So we we just sort of um, squabbled and fought and. And uh, nothing ever moved forward, and it was a lot of finger pointing and a lot of uh, wasted energy, and it was very frustrating. Which is why I left that company because <laughs> so, yeah. I was like, "We're not getting anything done." I go, right. and we we don't ever move the ball forward because we've set up conflict, and uh, and we haven't set up a, a, a collaborative culture. So yeah, vers- so yeah,
0: yeah. One thing that pops for me there too is the relationship between conflict and collaboration. Um, so I'm a big believer that conflict is good for an organization that you want people to be able to hold their respective you know priorities in a constructive tension these are fabulous ideas that Leanne Davy and the Good fight really unpacks in a brilliant way and when we're in a healthy collaboration we can enter those that constructive conflict space in a more constructive way where it's like our job is to work together to figure out how to optimize across these, priorities and, and to bring tension that is good for the company because we're going to make better decisions if we could do this together. Unfortunately, like so few of us are, have any background or training or professional development in how to collaborate well. I think we're even more horrible at having conflict well.
1: <laughs> yes, that's for sure. That's for sure. And I think when there is a North Star and we're all working, you know, like for example, in my second book, I wrote All on the Same Boat and on the submarine, we had a, a common view of the mission and, you know, it was, it was like, we're, we're there to protect the country and get everyone home safely and everyone believed that mission. And so, yes, there was conflict. We had different ideas on how to do that, but we were all, we were all aligned with a common mission, uh, a common objective as a team. Whereas in this particular company, as I was talking about, there just, just, there wasn't a common North star. And so we all had our own view of what the objectives of the project were and we were all, and it was all, departmentally focused, you know, marketing wanted yeah. something, sales wanted something, engineering wanted something, and we never got anything. <laughs> so There's
0: another big difference between those two scenarios. One is on the submarine, I have not been on one, but my guess is there was really clear command and control also, like it was clear where the authority lines yeah. were, um, which it sounds like in, in the corporate space, in that room, nobody knew who the heck is ultimately making decisions.
1: Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Yeah. There, was, there was someone to resolve conflict. There was someone to say, you know what, both your ideas are, are good, but here's what we're going to do because of these reasons. And so sometimes you need someone to resolve that. You know, when you do have conflict that's unresolved, you need someone to say, okay, well, here's, here's what we're going to do. And we didn't have anyone like that. So it was kind of just one of those interesting situations where um, I think the, the structure was meant, it was established for a reason, but it was really creating a lot of, uh, disunity uh, in the organization for sure
0: yeah i feel like all of these different structures for our organizations they're in the right place right time more than anything there's right implementation um there's a way to bring these ideas to life that will actually serve the, the goal that you're trying to, to live. Yeah. deliver their ways of screwing all of this up which is what makes this whole leadership thing so dang daunting and yes. big and why why they need your podcast
1: I, absolutely absolutely so uh, tell us about uh, the Masek, uh Matrix, which is part of the book. And I think that's that's sort of like the, like the heart of the book. So tell us a little bit about what that is.
0: Yeah, so I feel like every good business book needs a two-by-two matrix, right? Yes. Um, so yeah. this is a two-by-two matrix. And on one axis, we have collaborative relationship quality, which can either be high or low. All of this, all this is, is your subjective sense of how good or bad your relationship is with a particular other collaborator. And then on the axis, so let's go X axis, and we've got interdependence. And interdependence is the extent to which our outcomes are mutually constrained, mutually influenced. So whether I like it or not, what you do is impacting me. It might be impacting things like my ability to get promoted or my ability to do good work or my access to social networks are cool opportunities there are all sorts of different outcomes we can talk about interdependence can also be low or high So what the magic Matrix is and I realize this is always hard to talk about on podcasts because it's such a visual model so I'll I'll offer if people are interested I, there's a we're going to put a PDF in the show notes you're welcome to check that out And um, when you have high interdependence and high relationship quality, this is where, I know you. I trust you. I know you're competent. And it's great that our, you know, our outcomes are tied together because we are a well-oiled machine. When you toss the ball up, I you know I'm going to catch it and I catch it every dang time. And God forbid I drop it. I know that I dropped it. I own that I dropped it. I apologize. I come up with strategies of what I'm going to do differently next time to protect you, to protect me, to protect us, to move this dang thing forward that we both care about. It's a brilliant thing. So high relationship quality, high interdependence. But when you have high interdependence, low relationship quality, this is what I call collaborative heat. This really sucks. So I don't like you. I don't trust you. I think you're incompetent. You annoy me because you never do what you say you're going to do. <laughs> and I, you know, my wagon is hitched to your ill bannered horses and I don't like it. So you're taking me down with you. And it's a miserable, miserable place to be. Um, so the the key difference in those two states, one of which you know that that top right quadrant I call collaborate because a nice little thing on words, and that lower right quadrant I call collaborate. The big difference there is relationship quality. Mm-hmm. So you might think, well, okay, so we'll improve relationship quality. That'll be great. Problem is that uh, I'll step out for just a second to talk about married couple. Imagine there's a married couple on the verge of divorce. They're miserable. They're in the marriage equivalent of collaborate. hate. They finally decide to go to a therapist, a marriage counselor, or sit down. And what the counselor is unlikely to say is, you know what? You should just go out to dinner. That'll solve it. Like, just go spend some quality time. We know going out to dinner is great for relationship quality, but there's some other problems that need to get fixed first. So what the is more likely to be encouraged if the resources are there in the couple is to somehow so to decrease interdependence how one person moves to the basement you gets an apartment for a short period of time so that you can decouple those interdependencies to give everybody the breathing room to start working on their relationship quality and then they move back together I think the same thing is true in our collaborative relationships at work that what you need to do first is decrease interdependence, and work on building that inter or that relationship quality back up, creating more interdependence again. So very visual model, and I, we have time. I'm happy to unpack either or both of those dimensions a little bit about what that actually looks like.
1: Yeah, well, I think that I think we'll put the we'll put the link in the show notes for the PDF because I think the PDF really does explain it. And It's very, it is like like you said, it's very visual. And uh, I think it's, when you see it, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, for the first time I, I saw it, I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. And I and actually I thought of all the different collaborative relationships I had and where they fit in that model right away. That's like, you know, like the one I was telling you about with uh, the last company I was at for sure. But um, yeah. so what, um, you know, as we, as we wrap things up, uh, what are some other things that we need to think about when it comes to collaboration? I know we're just giving like, a primer here. We're giving you like a, like a quick summary on collaboration and the book. And again, lead listeners, I, I highly encourage you to to seek this book out because this gets a, goes a much more deeper than we're getting into in this conversation. But what are some of the things that we, we need to be thinking about when it comes to collaboration?
0: Yeah. So I, I will say for the the book, I think about it as a psychology of close relationships course applied to your collaboration. So it, it's a lot of evidence backed stuff in there. I, think it's great. Um, So there's that. But what to think about. First of all, collaboration is hard. I think it's worthy of the hardness because so much is riding on us being able to, to do together better. And the other thing is to let us all off the hook because we are not taught how to do this stuff. It is very rare to see high quality professional development, whether it's at the high school, college, or professional level. People just don't receive training on this. And yet it's essential. Um, Employers demand it. Our efficacy in the workplace requires it. And yet we're all just kind of feeling our way around how to do this. I want to let us all off the hook. of We're struggling because it's hard and because we're not helping ourselves or each other figure out how to do it well. So yeah, I hope the the book offers a stepping stone uh, to improving that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head. We're not trained to do this. And I think that's part of the problem is we're not trained to do a, lo- a lot of things. We're, we learn how to do accounting and marketing and, and legal and we learn hard skills and we miss out on some of these relationship skills and, and collabor- collaboration skills. We're not trained on it. Well, And yet we spend all our time doing that, though.
0: So. Oh, my gosh. And just to plus one that we're also not trained how to be good spouses, how to be good parents, how to be good friends. <laughs> Yeah. So socially, societally, there's all this mythology around, oh, we're social creatures. We must be great at this. Oh, it's really freaking hard um, to do well. And I always joke that, you know, I took labor and delivery classes before my son was born. And that's that's where the training stopped and come to find out that was the easy part.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so how can uh, people find out more about you, uh, what, what you offer in terms of services and, and this new book? Sure. So we'll put a, a
0: link in the show notes too to my newsletter. It's called One Simple One Simple Tip. And big surprise when I send it out, there's one simple tip in there on how to improve your collaborations. And I just send it out twice monthly because I don't want to be annoying. Um so so please look that up. And you can also go to collaborate.com and there you can learn about the book. Uh my work as a where I do my consulting and coaching and keynotes and all of that good stuff. But I think the newsletter is really the, the, the great way for us to begin our conversation.
1: Fantastic. And we'll go ahead and put uh, links in the show notes for those resources. And again, uh, listeners, uh, collaboration is a big part of what we do in business. We're working together with people all the time uh, and we don't have a roadmap to do it. And this book is your roadmap. It's going to give you what you need to know to to be more effective in collaboration. So I highly recommend you go get this book. That you look get these newsletters from Deb because she's going to help you navigate these rough waters and to be able to get better uh get her better results in your organization through better collaboration. So Deb, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this really interesting book and this this subject that we haven't covered uh, on the Deep Leadership Podcast. I really appreciate you coming today.
0: Well, it's been such a pleasure. I've enjoyed our conversation and would love to learn more from you about how all of this plays out in company and what was happening there on the submarine is just fascinating. So thank you for having me.
1: Oh, thank you very much. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Electrocast, transform your influence. Electrocast. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, I got this chair. No, this is my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again.